Welcome to What's Left of the Watchmen, a Watchmen review podcast from a socialist perspective. I'm your host, Anthony Montrullo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? What is going on, everybody? Uh, over the weekend, I saw The Irishman, Martin Scorsese picture. Um, maybe probably the last big ensemble, you know, gangster with like, you know, De Niro and Joe Pesci and, uh, you know, just like all these guys have been all the films and... You know, it's like Joe Pesci's been in retirement for many, many years. And for him to come back and do this film was fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. and, and it really is about that, like, aging gangster lifestyle, right? Like, it's very, um, you know, we, we've seen, like, a template of this, a version of this story a million times. Um, but we haven't seen a three and a half hour long version of it. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you will feel the length of this film because where you think it's going to end, it doesn't end. And like many Scorsese films, uh, you have no idea when it's going to end. Like, I don't, you know, I, I check my watch a couple times because I'm like, I have no idea how, like, <laughs> have we been here long two, fucking movie, two yeah. hours, four hours? I have no idea. But, uh, like, like the art, it takes place over the span of, like, several decades, right? And they did some mm-hmm. really good de-aging. I didn't really notice it. Like, I just thought, like, maybe they did some really, like, you know, fill in the you know, age lines. Wasn't too Uncanny Valley. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't. They're getting better. If if it was like, uh, you know, like a teenage Robert Downey Jr. in the uh, you know, uh, Iron oh. Man, like that, that would definitely stand out. But there was only one like scene Leia at the end of Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't work for me until she died. And then I was like, oh, now I kind of feel like a dick. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> one very one very brief scene with Daniel where he would have had to have been like 25 realistically in this scene, and they kind of have like in shadow, right? And that's the only one we were kind of like, nah, I'm not buying it that time. Uh, yeah. But like just the art direction, like the level of detail in uh, you know dressing up to outsides of buildings and the wardrobes and the cars, like it's it's on another level. It's all it's all I would say it's almost as good as like as. Uh, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, just the level of detail to every single thing in a room being completely authentic to the time period uh, and, and not looking like it's set up, you know, like looking like it's just very lived in. Um, the world mm-hmm. feels very real. Uh, and it's a really fucking sad story. Like you, you really feel for all the characters, even though you're kind of like, yeah, you're all a bunch of fucking raging asshole mobsters yeah. who can't let it, you know, you can't let a grudge go. Uh, and, and innocent people get hurt because of it. And they do a really like the, the part about the last 40 minutes of the film really drives that home in a way where you're like, fuck, like you're really, <laughs> really tightening the screws of, of, you know, bad life choices here, Martin. So, uh, well, yeah, go, go see best. that. Um, yeah. If you can in the theater. Um, yeah. And if not, if you can't make it, I think it's coming to Netflix in a couple of weeks, which is really mm-hmm. fucking exciting because I'm probably not going to get a chance to see it. So I'll definitely be watching it the day it comes out on uh, Netflix. I'm sure we'll review <clears throat> it for the show. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's if you can if you can get through it all in one city on, on Netflix, you know, definitely try to, though. Yeah. And uh, well, speaking of Martin Scorsese, let's talk about Martin Scorsese's favorite genre, the uh, superhero film and television universe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But and, and by the way, guys, like I'm just just up front, like he's mostly right about what he's saying. Like the, the Marvel movies, as much as we enjoy them, totally fucking devoid of substance for the most part. I, this this show is a very, very notable exception. This is a yeah. this is a drama series, first and foremost, uh, that well, happens to be about ex superheroes, you know. I, I don't think anyone would agree with Martin Scorsese more than Alan Moore. So it's it's kind of appropriate. Uh, I don't know if yeah, you saw true, his that, quote recently. Uh, yeah, his just, blog like, not, put out. 
Yeah, not even just superhero movies, but just like most comic books are just garbage, you know, and just reinforce shitty male toxicity uh, and the need for perpetual adolescence. Yeah, and he, and he mentioned how most superheroes are basically like KKK fucking, uh, you know, <laughs> stereotypes and like all, he had a really interesting blog post. It's worth a read. Um, and actually, somebody was saying that was from a couple of years ago, which is interesting considering he mentions Birth of a Nation in it. Uh, and it's very clear that if that is from a few years ago, that Damon Lindelof uh, read that and centered the entire series around it. And if it's not from a couple of years ago and it's from this week, that means he's probably is kind of on board with what is happening on the show right now. So I think either sure. way, that's an interesting as <clears throat> bad as much of an admission of, 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 oh, this is not bad from Alan Moore as you're going to get. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> you know that that Damon was probably trying to like just racking his brain, trying to think of like what can I do that will, uh, you know, get the 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 weakest hex put on me by Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, can, exactly. how can I? How can I even like mildly impress this guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, so let's get into the episode. Um, just another absolutely incredible. I mean, I'll, you know, we'll talk about each scene from this episode. I, I think I'll say up front though. This is my favorite episode of the five so far, and it's not even close. And I've loved every episode. And and that's uh, to me, that's really saying something. Yeah, this was, you know, the last two episodes were a little bit more of a buildup. Right. And if you are going to do a buildup, you need a payoff. And this was a huge payoff episode. Um, You know, people said that this was more like the leftovers than any of the other episodes so far. But it was also the most graphic novel centric episode. It was. Uh, you know, like the, the Zack Snyder ending we've talked about makes no sense. Right. And somebody somebody on Twitter was like, oh, well, they did that because 9-11 happened. They changed the ending. I'm like, what, that, what, what is that? That doesn't mean? make any fucking sense. That yeah, doesn't... People getting vaporized well, or killed so, by a fucking. Yeah, like it doesn't, <laughs> it's still horrible. Well, and Snyder it? Snyder said in the director's commentary, oh, well, we didn't do it because we didn't think a giant squid would uh, tra- would would uh, translate well on screen. So, you know, great call as usual. Just real. <laughs> Real smart director that fucking well, guy is. Man, um, in, 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 when he, when they start pulling back that super wide oh, shot, they're, they're pulling I, I was away. like, oh, are they going to do it? Are they going to do? They it? go through the Ferris wheel, the you know the atomic wheel was the name of that Ferris wheel. Yep. And they're pulling back and pulling back, and I'm like, oh god, we're, we're starting to move out over the river. Holy shit, they're going to do it. They're going to fucking do it. Yep. <laughs> and I could tell right away because sure I could enough. see the docks on the on the. Um, on the west side highway, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to fucking show Manhattan. Like, I could see just, like, the oh, little, yeah. you know. <laughs> it, it was just, I could, you could, you could, t- you knew that, was, even though Damon has said nice things about that Zack Snyder film, because he has to, you knew that he was like, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to fucking do it where you couldn't. I'm going to eat your fucking lunch, <laughs> Zack Snyder. <laughs> Doesn't translate well on screen. We'll see about that. Oh, you know? it, it looked, I mean, that, that shot was amazing. Even it was just incredible. Like, once it came to a still. There's little bits of fire. There's like some of the buildings are crushed. Uh, the, just the way it looked was so consistent with the comic. Um, you know, and, and then the tentacles are like, you know, miles long. You know, it's not even, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's got way more tentacles than a real squid would. It just, it, so it was amazing. It was so absolutely, so- absolutely brilliant. And, and I just, you know, it, it, one of the, you know, they said, well, it's too absurd. It's like, well, but, the, but Night Owl even says in the comic, he doesn't believe uh adrian Vite, he's like that's that's too bizarre i don't believe you like he says it in the movie or in the in the comic he says it in the comic that it's too absurd to be believed yeah yeah no absolutely and it's like what that that's a bridge too far for you but fucking dr manhattan the man you know made of atoms who can literally you know 
create new life and like uh, gr- grow to a gigantic proportions and like incinerate like all right guys like at some point you have to either say like i'm willing to take a ride with this or i'm not you know <laughs> like yeah. the whole it's too absurd yeah. thing's kind of dumb well, well let's, it, let's get into it, the episode oh, yeah sure sure oh just real quick i mean he also didn't really he couldn't figure out a way to incorporate the black freighter stuff either which in in his defense was sometimes it was like just panel back and forth from the real story of the black freighter so that that would be i think jarring uh and there is the version that does have the animated black freighter stuff that's mm-hmm. mixed in with it but it's like in like uh, you know, concise chunks, not really interwoven as, you know, parallel action going on. Um, and it's also allegorical. I don't have a huge issue with omitting that in, a, in an adaptation. Um, yeah, no, I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, it's almost, there's if you don't incorporate it the way it is in the graphic novel, it almost doesn't make sense. No like when I, when I watch yeah. that version with the, the animated stuff in there, I'm kind of like, it doesn't, it, it's, it's got to be interwoven the way that it is in the comic to really, um, you know, draw out those connections. <clears throat> yeah no uh, yeah for sure um yes yeah, so let's just get into the episode and by the way you mentioned at the top how this was the most leftovers episode and i think that's definitely true i also think this was weirdly the the most lost like episode um and i have a couple specific you know moments that i'll reference as we as we go through yeah. the scenes that felt extremely fucking lost to me um and the best the best of loss like the best parts of loss to me even with that opening tracking shot it just felt like i mean it, you know, it reminded me immediately of the shot at the end of season one where they're where, where they um, finally get the hatch open. And then we see the the pull away shot that's pulling, you know, down from the top from them looking out. And we realize how big the fucking ladder is that's leading down the hatch. And then that's how the season one ends, you know, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it just it, it was a very reminiscent shot of that. And there's a couple other things in the episode I'll mention. But um I mean, yeah, it, so let's the, just get the shot in the, the the shot in this though. I mean, just this, there's only so much of that that's CGI. Like it, until they get out to the water, all oh, yeah. of that looks like real bodies. I mean, I'm sure they did the Walking Dead thing where they mixed in uh, actual people you, laying you, on the ground with with, yeah. with CGI, right? But you know, just that the the shot of the squid. I mean, the whole tracking shot pulling out that far and doing all that looked flawless. None of that looked like CGI to me, uh, and you know just like I, i'm sure they spent a bunch of money on that like that had to be really fucking expensive that whole set piece and then the the animation they did along with it yeah yeah absolutely and for it to come as good as it did you know they put a lot of money towards towards animating that um definitely a money shot <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah so let's let's get into the uh into the part of the episode so you know obviously we open uh on a flashback to uh young wade young looking glass um who's you know in a church group we we realize eventually that when you see the watchtower book that's the jehovah's but um they're getting off a bus in uh, hoboken new jersey of all places <laughs> um which is a weird spot to like have like a jehovah's mission I, I i i mean i could be wrong but i thought jehovah's typically just like go out in their communities to like preach the the, the fucking watchtower or whatever but i guess maybe uh... they have like yeah, last trips really know. Like, I don't uh, really. apparently apparently or else they just thought of like well where's the most sinful place in the world and eh, new jersey new jersey that's <laughs> i it. feel like but i feel like if you're going to uh new jersey you go to like atlantic city like you don't go to hoboken it's sure. like a weird well maybe they, already, weird got, choice, but... maybe they already gotten kicked out there and this was like all right well let's <laughs> yeah. uh let's go up the road a little bit kicked out of them in atlantic city um yeah so they um go to this uh carnival in hoboken to Kind of, I guess, walk around and convert people. Um, I, I thought it was, 
I'm, I don't think it means anything narratively. It was just maybe a little narrative echo, but it was funny how the the church group leader uh, said TikTok to him as like as they were like dispersing oh, yeah. to yeah, go. I caught that. Yeah, um, it was it was weird like watching them come out of the bus because for a second I was like, oh wait, are these all clones too? Oh wait, no, they're just white men. <laughs> they're just regular, regular no, white they're just people to judge supporters. They're gonna come off the bus, start doing the high hope stance. Everyone blows their brains out. Um, yeah, so yeah, we'll talk about that this week. Um, but um, you know, so he meets. Uh, he he starts talking to a gang gang of uh, a gang of ruffians, and um, you know this this girl kind of tries to save him from the from the group of guys who look like they're about to kick his ass or rob him. Did you uh, know that brings- that's supposed to be the same gang that uh, kills Night Owl One? Uh, is it really? And- I, I knew they looked like com- they looked very much like the comic gangs like that you see throughout the story, but I didn't yeah. realize they were the exact same ones. Well, they didn't seem quite as intense as you know, like the versions of of that gang that we see in like the Zack Snyder film, because you know they, they, I mean, or even in the graphic novel, they looked kind of like adjacent to that. But apparently, yeah. that's they were supposed to be you know okay part of that same gang if not the same people right so yeah now that makes sense um so uh this this girl takes him into uh the uh house of mirrors which you know obviously uh is is a nod to his uh later in life persona but obviously i think we can infer that you know the trauma that he experienced there uh played no small part in the persona that he decides to adopt later as looking yeah, glass yeah, where his absolutely. face is literally a mirror you know uh maybe the most traumatizing experience of, of i mean definitely the most traumatizing experience of his life happened when he was surrounded by you know mirrors and by his own reflection um so he gets in there uh they start going at it but it was you know a ploy for her to steal his clothes and shit uh and wallet uh, and you know, just as that happens, the psychic squid blast, uh, also happens, uh, in downtown Manhattan kills 3 million people. The, you know, the, the psychic blast, the ones who are alive are traumatized. It's, you know, an intense, incredible scene. We, we've already discussed how just incredible the, 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 um, amount of effort they took into, into bringing that to life. Something that's such an iconic shot from the, from the comic, uh, you know, and something that Zack Snyder was terrified to touch um, because he's not a real filmmaker. Yeah, well, um, just they, the number yeah. of bodies they had out there. It was like it was it looks so close to to the graphic novel where it was just like every fucking person in that radius was killed. And they were apparently close enough to it that it affected them. And you only see about maybe three or four people who are still alive in in that uh, group of the. Yeah. yeah. And you have to figure like it was the only reason that he was spared is because he was in this hall of mirrors. And somehow the the you know that much insulation protected him enough where instead of his whole head exploding, uh, he only had just you know trickles of blood coming out of his ears instead. So uh, well, another it's, it's, sort of uh, genesis of him thinking that like some kind of reflective mirrored substance uh, for a mask is going to protect him throughout life. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and you know it's. It, it's interesting the mechanics of, uh, and I don't think they ever really fully go into it. The comics of why certain people ended up surviving and what what they possessed genetically or in terms of their location or what that helped them survive. The I blast. just thought it was how close they were. Like it, it only affected, it affected people differently based yeah. on 
proximity, you know, or if somebody was indoors versus outdoors. Uh, but it or, looked like there were some people outside the car, like it, the, the outside the Hall of Mirrors, like almost everyone was dead, but there looked like sporadic people sure. stand. Sure. So I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't know how they ended up surviving, but maybe they were just. Yeah, or, or maybe it's just how hypnotism works on some people and not others, you know, like some people yeah. are just immune to it. Yeah, and it was obviously not a, you know, it was a hoax and it was a psychic attack that fight devised. Um, so, yeah, the incredible opening just really fucking kicks this episode off, you know, with a bang that I'm sure most of us did not expect. We're like, oh, looking glass episode. It'll be an interesting little, you know, kind of procedural following him around in his, on his oh, daily weirdness. And then it was like, here's the fucking giant squid, like right in your. And that's that's the know, kind of thing. Squid pro quo motherfuckers right squid there. Squid pro quo. It's the kind of thing that you think they would end the episode on as like a huge, like, holy uh-huh, shit. Exactly. And, 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 and <laughs> you know, Lindelof's like, now nah, I'm going to open with that. That I'm just going to fucking like <laughs> explode yeah. your brain in the first nine minutes and then we'll get back to the regular world. <laughs> so incredible. Incredible. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, the Ferris wheel was uh, called the atomic wheel. Just there, there's always a million little Easter eggs if you're, you know. If you're looking for them in, in, in any kind of shot that's uh, that we see on the series, it's very, you know, Lindelof's really big about shot composition and really putting a lot into the frame, uh, both narratively and just, you know, kind of nods to nods to the comic and nods to other things that he finds. Do you remember there was what the name of the magazine that somebody was reading that he walks past was like, there's always a million little things well, that have a reference, but well, someone was reading a magazine. I didn't see the cover, but the back had the Vite method on it, which I think was like a self-help oh, thing that, that, right. that Vite had like, uh, you know, and it's mentioned in the comics. Uh, it's, it, I think it's something to do with his utopian society that he wants to create, which we learn more about in this episode and we'll get to it later. <clears throat> but obviously this was the biggest part of that plan. Um, but, you know, eh, I'll save it for the end of the episode for the, the fight section. Um, all right. So, um, you know, we go, we come back to present day and we see that uh, looking glass is consulting for ad agencies, basically using his skills as a human lie detector. Although his, his, his ability as a human lie detector will, I'll call into question later on in this episode. Um, he's using it for, uh, consulting for ad agencies to make sure that the focus test results that they're getting are legitimate, not just, you know, what people think that they want to hear. Sure. Um, well, but also in that opening scene though, you can tell that he's projecting his own fear and bias. Uh, and I'm sure other people are, you know, equally concerned, but he's on another, another level. Like he's fucking like, uh, just yeah, he's getting very beyond. specific with his description of everyone's, you know, supposed concerns. It's like, yeah. no, this is obviously your concerns, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, I, to, to to the degree that, that he has them, he's projecting on everybody, and clearly, like, not everyone thinks that way because not everyone experienced what he did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, from there we go to uh, a scene back at uh, Tulsa PD headquarters uh, in that kind of weird war room that they have, auditorium room, um, and Lori is leading uh, the meeting. She tells them to go find the church the Seven Ks hold up in. Um, you know, the, the just interesting scene to set up what happens later. Not much to it, um, although you know she she has them scouring scouring the state for churches that look like that. And you know, obviously, as we learn later on, it's not actually a church; it's a set. Uh, and there's a lot more, you know, that meets the eye with the whole Seven K situation. 
Um, but the uh, scene that follows that is, uh, you know, all the cops inside the station. Uh, they're all wearing masks inside the station, which I took note of. It's, it seemed very, you know, odd. But then immediately, uh, you know, Wade, t- when, when he's called into Lori's office, tells us that that's like regulation that they're told to wear masks even within the precinct right so clearly when they started the mask thing uh you know they were already suspect that there was somebody on the inside that had leaked their their names and home addresses to the seven cavalry so it's it's you know obviously like they you know to to the degree that just like regular cops don't trust each other you know we, we know or we find out in this episode uh for certain that that there were people uh obviously that you know the chief especially who were involved in seven cavalry directly yeah absolutely um you know during this this uh kind of shakedown that laurie does uh where she wants to know what is happening with angela um she reveals a couple things to him she reveals that she uh bugged his cactus which is you know just a dick move but typical of the feds um she she kind of you know she keeps calling him mirror guy uh when she knows his name is looking glass and he says as much to her but she she knows it fucking needles him to call him mirror guy um so you know that's that's amusing but um she she this is the first mention of reflectatine which is this material that his mask is supposedly made out of which is sold by this uh, company, EDS, Extra Dimensional Security, uh, and it's supposedly a uh, shield against further psychic blasts. Now, uh, I th- I would imagine that this is a complete fucking snake oil, and there, there's no way that this company could right. like devise something like this. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they could test that unless they really yeah, no, exactly. Good monster. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, you get the sense that there are, there are a number of industries that have popped up that are just uh, making money off the fear that people have of, of this happening again. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, obviously that's, that's his, uh, just overwhelming, uh, th- that that's his overwhelming characteristic at this point in his life is just this crippling fear that he has, um, every day and every, you know, and it affects every you know moment of his life. He's never not wearing this reflective team. We even see that he lined his hat with it. You know, it's quite literally almost, you know, he's wearing a tinfoil hat, just, you know, reflective teams, uh, tinfoil. Um, so, uh, he, uh, we, we, from there, you know, he, she, she basically tries to shake him down for information on the, uh, pills. Cause I think he had mentioned it at one point, uh, while he was standing at his desk. Um, and he won't give up Angela. Um, now, uh, we, from there, we go back to his house, uh, or his, you know, whatever it is, his compound his underground bunker. Yeah. Well, no, I think at this point he's up in his, his upstairs house cause he's watching American hero story. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. And then his alarm goes off. This next scene and then, his alarm yeah. Go- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, that was a little, <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Well, uh, I think it was just more, his- more. More like, hey, Zack Snyder, you're fucking ridiculous, the shit you focused on in your movie, but, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, and we see him, you know, with his mask half on, eating a can of beans, which is, you know, exactly what Rorschach would do. And, uh, you know, with with the you know, sort of uh, mirror mask that he has, it, it tends to reflect things in ways that also uh, mirror Rorschach. So, uh, interesting comparison there. Cause clearly like he doesn't seem to be influenced at all. Uh, the way no, these, these he, seven he's, people were, but the, he's the, actually pretty anti, you know, Rorschach in terms of his, the way he approaches the world. Like, but he's, yeah. you know, 
like him in a lot of ways as well. Um, so it's interesting, but, um, yeah, so he, uh, has a, uh, a malfunction with his, his squid alarm, um, and uh you know he runs runs down to the thing can't turn it off runs upstairs rips it off the walls starts you know fucking hammering it uh can't get it to work uh and he has this and he so he calls up eds this company and has like a freak out uh with this eds salesman and this is like where tim blake nelson shines to me just his fucking like you know really angry but like semi southern polite like conversation with this with this salesman on the phone oh, yeah it was, it was hilarious uh it, it especially because you you realize in this conversation that it's malfunctioning because he's running uh like a a, a test drill on it like every <laughs> single day uh and they're like you know that you're only supposed to do that once every six weeks i mean i don't know how that would make it malfunction like realistically it wouldn't no it's a cheap piece of shit but still like (laughs) just the idea that he's got this like you know i got a clipboard on the wall and he's like test it like what is he actually even testing on it like how fast it takes for him to run to it and turn it like (laughs) yeah i literally uh, have no idea like but he's like i I don't give a good goddamn what your manual says now um and then the guys and so then the guy agrees to send him a new you know unit uh uh, you know overnight and he says it'll literally cost as much as a unit and he says fine i don't care just send it to me and send me another roll of you know reflect teams just shows you how you know and this is not a guy that's living in a mansion he seems like he's you know living hand to mouth he's not in the nicest place uh yet he's like has no qualms whatsoever about spending in an absurd amount of money for something that's totally bullshit and probably doesn't even work you know so well he's clearly not making enough from one profession uh to get by so he's got to work two jobs right yeah exactly which is uh you know probably not realistic to most law enforcement but um yeah it is interesting but yeah yeah especially because yeah he is a detective um it it is sort of interesting that you know his his special skill is uh you know telling what you know whether people are lying or not which he employs in his job with um sort of analyzing the uh the focus groups and also with interrogating people um and and you the realize that detector. that's really yeah the racist sector that's really like the only time he's confident about anything is is feeling like he can uh you know read through people right and which is of course a ironic because he is so unaware of his own you know of himself or he's putting up this front as though he's uh you know he's got it held together but in reality he's like you know just falling apart at the seams emotionally when you wonder how much of that too is in response to his the traumatic events that we see in the opening of the series which you know in, in so many ways shaped everything about him the fact that he was duped by this by this woman and it and it led him to this this you know this absolute low point in his life uh now you know as you said it might have actually saved his life but regardless it's still probably the worst moment of his entire life i think he's made it a point to try to to read everybody's intent from the from the beginning now like that's mm-hmm. that's his uh, and for some reason, it totally fucking fails him later in this episode. But we'll we'll get to well, that. Well, it fails um, him in two ways, and I, I I think you'll probably you're you're aware of the you know sort of the uh, the obvious one meta, and then you know the the the, the obvious one, and then the meta uh, one, and and really how it it like it's <clears throat> sort of an identity crushing moment <laughs> that we'll get to in a bit here. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, absolutely um and and i think that was just what was so great about this episode it was just such a 
it's what Lindelof really does best. And and this is why I think people compared this so much to the leftovers. Cause this episode was just uh, a meditation on grief and tragedy and overcoming tragedy and like the, and, and just following this one character's, you know, uh, journey through that and it's not you know like he shows the giant squid in the opening shot but like Lindelof has always been more interested in the people on the ground the people affected by these things not in Mm -hmm. you know the guy the guy flying around the fucking squid and shooting at it with you know so I I would say that the 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 episodes we've had so far that are very one character centric you know uh, Laurie's episode Angela's episode I mean, really, we had two main episodes that were that were Angela. Uh, you know, they're all dealing with trauma, right? It's yeah. just they're they're dealing with it in different ways. Uh, I think Lori's probably holding things together better than anybody, but she's not in the middle of a crisis right now the way that Angela is. Uh, Angela's, I think, coping with everything as best as she can because she has a you know a strong family unit around her, whereas Lori and uh, Looking Glass have nobody. There's that shot where he's down in his bunker sleeping and he's looking at the bunk beds that are completely empty. Like the thing's mm-hmm. designed for a family and he knows he's never going to have a family. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that, yeah. That, that was like, that very, scene right there was really fucking sad. It was. So, I, it was really, yeah. it was just like, Jesus Christ. Man. Uh, jumping ahead um, a little bit, but that is that there's that moment where the, the woman he meets uh, at the, at his support group and goes out to the bar. She says, Oh, maybe you should call a friend. And he's like, I don't have any friends. I, have, I don't have any friends. <laughs> I was like, God damn, man. Like, yeah. come on. Here I feel bad for you. You don't got to fucking twist the knife. Um, but, um, well, speaking of his friends, you know, the next scene we get, is him uh, going to meet with Cynthia, uh, who is, uh, I think it's implied a former flame of his uh, of some nature. Um, She's, you know, obviously working in this uh, genetics lab, uh, really fucking creepy place that clones pets for you. Um, Kills pets too, apparently. (laughs) Oh, oh God, I can't even talk about that. That just insta villain for life, Cynthia, for fucking putting that dog in that incinerator. Just like, do you want this dog? No. Oh, okay. And then just pulls, puts it in this fucking, like, I I couldn't handle that scene. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is... (laughs) Well, at least so they didn't grim. have like a like a dog screaming sound effect or something like that. Oh, that would have just God, that would have been, been like, so no, much worse. That's, that's too much. That's too much. Too much. <laughs> uh, it, it's so funny because like uh, the cutest just, fucking dog too. We uh, it just got Disney Plus <laughs> last week, like everyone else in yep. the world did. Um, we're now we're now feeding the the mouse who is now buying up movies and keeping them in a the vault so micro cinemas can't uh, screen them uh, in small towns and uh, little uh, you know hip towns where they have. Uh, art house screenings of vintage prints. Disney's trying to make sure that never happens again. So now we're all funding that by paying for Disney Disney Plus. But uh, I had to cope with the dog being incinerated by going and watching the uh, live action Lady and the Tramp movie that's uh, exclusive <laughs> to to a Disney, Disney Plus. I mean, there's obviously a lot of CGI too, but uh, really good seamless mix between CGI and actual live action animals. Um, there was there was moments where you really couldn't tell the difference in certain parts. Uh, and movie's actually pretty pretty fucking dark uh considering there, there's a bit of class commentary in there i sort of forgot about uh well yeah in the, in the animated for sure and it's just like a straight up kind of live action adaptation right uh yeah yeah i mean it's all it's all live action um it the only the only part that's not believable is like eventually the the bougie liberal family comes to appreciate the you know the poor uh you know mangy uh, working class dog, which, uh, you know, in reality that that wouldn't be that way. Uh, yeah. but yeah, it's still, it, it, it's still entertaining, obviously. And I, it was like three in the morning when I watched it and I was drunk. So I was just like, it's so fucking sad. <laughs> don't, don't, don't pull me the fucking pound. Uh, so yeah, it was just, it was, yeah. It was, I had a whole day of, um, 
you know, watching animals uh, fight for their lives, so to speak. No, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so Cynthia uh, and oh, and by the way, the other just real creepy, like, don't know what it means, but really creeped me out was that they had everyone that worked there was either a twin or a clone at this facility. I mean, I assume they were twins, but I think the impression is to get it is they hire twins to give people the impression that they're clones, you know, <laughs> like um, yeah, that, was, that was definitely bizarre. And you didn't really know which one, because uh, we know there's clones all over this universe. Right. Um, but yep, to they're the like made by are, like, yeah, I don't uh, think they'd be are, like are, working in service industry like that, you know, ubiquitous. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely bizarre, and you and you know immediately you you sort of assume this is part of Lady True's network of fertility clinics and hospitals and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're just we're sort of just in that world now that uh, she's kind of in control of everything, whether people are aware of it or not. Yeah, and I mean it, that you know tracks with with modern society. If you think about the fact that Jeff Bezos is is you know not a trillionaire but a hundred billionaire and is controlling every fucking aspect of society i mean you know you don't even think about the areas that amazon has control over but their cloud-based servers uh you know provide servers for a good chunk of the websites that you visit and that we're you know probably podcasting on right now i don't even know who knows um there's so much that amazon has control of that we don't even realize that it's not a big stretch to imagine that Mm -hmm. someone who's not a billionaire but a trillionaire would would have their hands in every piece of biomedical, you know, technology, uh, you know, any yeah. kind of, well, you know, Amazon, ha- Amazon has a $600 billion deal with uh, the Pentagon, right? Like yep. That's, that's uh, over half a trillion dollars right there. Uh, and yep. they're, they're, you know, deals basically to develop facial recognition software and digital surveillance software. So, uh, and you know, what else, what else does Bezos own? Uh, oh, one of the, one of the nation's largest newspapers, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's like, <laughs> it's this. Well, they also have a contract with the CIA to build them a, cl- a $600 million deal with them to build them a cloud server. So, you know, well, maybe which is more money than he paid. I, I may have missed. Well, no, they, they're, they're, they're doing, I think they're actually doing both though. I think they did. Mm. <laughs> you were thinking of their other deal that they have also to do facial recognition, <laughs> but they, um, but yeah, they have, they have a $600 million deal with the CIA and he bought the Washington post, I think for like, uh, you know, 300 million, something, a, a number way less. So you think the guy who literally has a, you know, nearly billion dollar deal with the CIA to build them a cloud server is not going to report favorably to CIA interests in that paper that he bought that he makes way less money on. Like, give me a fucking break. Of course sure. and when, when, when you're that powerful, you know, as, as Jeff Bezos is, or as lady true clearly are, uh, what, what ethics, um, you know, bind you to doing things lawfully or ethically, you know, there, there are none, right? Like no, you, I mean, you're approaching the, the point of being a God, uh, at that point when you have the, you know, you can snap your fingers and can, you know, control the outcome of millions of people's lives like that. That's a godlike power right there. Yeah. And I think by the time you, you reach a billion dollars, I think ethics have, you know, left you far behind uh, in yeah. general. So imagine what ex- exponentially how much worse that is when you're a trillionaire. Not, um, I, just, I just imagine like Jeff Bezos, like, you know, every day they bring him like a new dog and he's like, nah, I don't like that one. And he like throws it in a pit of fire, you know, like this. <laughs> bring me a new small. poodle. <laughs> it's a little too small. It's a little smaller than the one I wanted. So then yeah. He, yeah, he's got the little incinerator. Tr- oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, he's Brutal. He's angry because he can't grow hair. That's what it is. 
that's I think I it, swear to God that's like what drives you know Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and uh, you know what was the Apple guy whatever the fuck is you know, Steve like Jobs. they all just like as they lose their hair uh, most of them prematurely uh, I think you know Elon Musk had no hair by the time he was twenty uh, they just go insane they're like oh, I will contr- if I can't grow hair I would have fucking conquer the world. <laughs> so, <laughs> Nate Silver's got like a junior version of that, I think. Mm. <laughs> like he doesn't have the money to back it up, but that's why he he sucks up to yeah. those people. I think and it's weird boots. that I I you know have such luxurious hair this late in life because he's got this like just horrible like two way comb over thing he's trying oh, to do. Brutal, <laughs> brutal, dude. Just give it, yeah. shave it, just give it up. Like yeah. nobody, you're not fooling anybody. Or just do a one way comb over. At least then it doesn't look like you're fucking trying to. Uh, or talk to Biden's hair plugs guy. I mean, he can hook you up. Clearly, <laughs> Biden's got <laughs> got a got a deeper hairline than he villain. had when he was you know, forty. The villain from uh, Poltergeist too is what I think of whenever I look <laughs> at Joe Biden's hair. <laughs> oh, uh, good God! Um, yeah. So, um, but so Cynthia tells uh, Wade that the pills are nostalgia pills, uh, and we learn. Uh, through inference on the show and you know more explicitly if you look at the pd files from this week pedipedia um that these basically are are memories in pill form uh and you you can you know i i don't know how the process works but it it basically like it it preserves like certain memories of yours that you want to preserve and you can take these pills and have vivid recollections i guess of those memories uh seems like a hallucination from what we watched on the on the trailer in the preview yeah yeah you get the sense you're not supposed to take all at once let alone anyone else's um you're not supposed to chug them like angela did yeah yeah well it definitely begs the question you know sort of blade runner-esque uh are you you trying to remember your own memories or are you being implanted with somebody else's and how do you know the difference right like very (laughs) very much uh taking a page from Blade Runner uh, one and two there. Um, when I think they make a point, I, th- I think it was in the preview for next week of saying like, you're not supposed to take someone else's nostalgia pills. Uh, and these were clearly Angela's, you know, sure. grandfather Will's pills. Sure. Uh, not supposed to, so. but goes back to Lady True and her daughter where she tells her about the dream she had and her feet hurting. And she says, good. And it seems very likely that she was uh, a clone of her mother who told her never to leave Vietnam uh, and that she's cloned her and is now implanting her mother's memories into her clone daughter. Right. And, and for uh, somewhat of a reason, I'm sure there was a reason beyond just vanity that uh, this actually has something to do with her overall plot of what I think is going to be revenge uh, for what the U S did in Vietnam in, in this universe and obviously in the real world. Yeah, that, that that's possible. Um, and I and we'll do a lot of theorizing about what her plot is and what the seven K are up to uh, when we get to that scene because um, I fuck if I know. Um, but I have thoughts, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, so uh, we from there we go to the uh, extra within this. This scene was so fucking leftovers. This extra dimensional anxiety meeting uh, that they have, uh, where Wade is, I guess the the group leader. It's basically a support group for people who are super, um, you know, just 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 super traumatized in various ways by by the uh, by the squid attack. There was even a kid who didn't even witness the squid attack, but his uh, mother, I guess, was was in New York on eleven two, um, and and this almost even gets into this this interesting 
idea of like genetically uh transfer there's actually a term for this where where you know fear is is transmitted you know through generation like multi-generation yeah uh, multi-generational memory. fear. um yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched the and it's an where... actual thing that they've tested the way you know in in lab rats it's crazy yeah, uh, apparently Carl Jung wrote a lot about this, and Ash was telling me about it. Um, we watched the episode last night, and, and yeah, just the idea that you can transfer memory that way. And I mean, it, it's, it's real stoner not, talk. <laughs> maybe not a, a, a direct memory. Um, now, obviously, if you were around your parent and they talked about it, that would instill you with that that sense of memory. Obviously, um, but even just you know, think about like what are what our instincts are, things that aren't mm-hmm. taught to us. That we just exactly. I mean, the 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 your brainstem, the part of your brain that uh, controls reflexes, where you react to things faster than your brain can process information because you have to in order to survive, right? Like if if there's a fucking you know saber tooth tiger uh, jumps out of a cave at you, you know, and and you're <laughs> uh, you've got a spear there, you might not have time to react, but you just instinctually like you see a thing and you react to it out of out of fear that is in in your genetic code, right? Like it's not a thing yeah. that you have maybe have even experienced before, but you just know like that's that's danger and you react to it faster than you can even think about it. Yeah, it's actually the 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 most. Um compelling evidence for evolution in real time that you can witness is, is actual, you know, fear, fear uh, responses that you're, that are totally involuntary. And like you said, kind of genetically, you know, coded in, this is not something we ever learned, you know, in, in nobody ever said, Hey, you should be afraid when this happened, but like, it's just instinctual that, you know, these, these, these things like trigger things in your, in your genetics. Like, so it's sure. really even, even things that aren't, uh, you know, necessarily a fear response, but things like, you know, a hippopotamus can swim instantly the moment it's born. It yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's clearly that is it's informational awareness about how to interact with the environment that is in their DNA. Nobody's taught them anything yeah. yet. And somehow they just walk immediately when they almost from when they're birthed. It's like, it's fucking nuts. (laughs) Uh, You know, a full uh, baby giraffe, they both can walk almost instantly because they they have to, because they're, you know, could be predators around them. Um, Yeah, immediately. uh, You know, you start on insects. I mean, almost everything they do is instinctual. There's, you know, uh, or or they're instructed to purely through like pheromones. Right. So it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's, it was interesting. They put that in the episode cause it was, uh, you know, it's something that I hadn't really thought about as, as sort of being a consequence of this huge event. That's really what I love about this episode is, is I all about the whole series on a whole is the comic book pretty much ends immediately after the, the squid attack. And you see the immediate yeah, fallout, uh, was, you know, uh, we averted nuclear Armageddon. Right. But you never, you know, we never got to see like what happens a year later or three years later. Right? There was, there was a couple of DC comics that, you know, where it came after that, that nobody remembers, but, uh, yeah. you know, seeing this world 30 some years later, uh, mm-hmm. and how it really changed things, you know, it's, it's, uh, you see how much changed in New York city from nine 11, uh, cha- you know, how much the world or the, the country changed from 3000 deaths. Imagine if it was 3 million, what that would be. Exactly. Like. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, and I think the important thing about the series is that it really fully uh, contextualizes Vite as the supervillain that he is, because, I mean, the the comic does end, you know, 
uh, on an ambiguous note where, where, you know, the plan does work and it averts nuclear disaster, but that doesn't justify what Vite did. And, um, and, but then then the series really leans into that and shows the kind of long-term effects of this squid attack and how it was kind of a net negative and how it's things are, you know, arguably worse than they, than ever in, in 2019 in, in the Watchmen universe. Sure. Well, um, in, in the way that uh, Dr. Manhattan leaves him, it's obvious that he has now sort of isolated himself from everybody because, you know, the few people that do know the secret, uh, aren't really happy about it. Right. They're going to keep the secret for the good of world peace, yeah. but they still think what he did was, you know, uh, reprehensible. And yeah, he now has to grapple with the guilt of, he even says like, I'm, I'm dealing with the guilt of what I've done. I think about, you know, all of those lives I took for the greater good. And, you know, the, the, the fight we see now is almost like you can see what years and years and years of isolation has done to him. Probably much more isolation than just where he, uh, you know, is currently imprisoned. And he's now become much more of a megalomaniac than he ever was before. Uh, before he was mostly just arrogant, but pretty calm. And now it's like, he's having these just, you know, violent outbursts every other day, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so um, <clears throat> this extra-dimensional meeting uh, that we're deleting, the, the, this woman comes in who's, I guess, new to the group. Um, and, you know, as he's leaving, she's clearly waiting there for him, um, which, you know, should have been a tip-off to him from the jump that uh, maybe not everything is on the level with this chick. Like, how would she just know you from Adam? You know, if she's just coming to this meeting, obviously she probably knows who you really are. Um, but you know, I guess for whatever reason he was really, you know, when he's in that space, maybe his guard is down in other ways that it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, he's not in his, he's not looking glass at that moment. He's weighed. He doesn't have the mask on. He doesn't have his, you know, shield to the world on and he's not, in his, you know, maybe top form, he's, he's more, much more, you sure. know, akin to the young Wade that we see. So, it's, you know, he's well, not and they, on they clearly, game. they clearly know who he is. They figured out who he is and they figured out what his weakness is. And, <clears throat> you know, it's like one of the, like when you, you lock your keys in your car and you realize you're doing it and you can't stop yourself. And you're like, why am I still closing the door? The keys are still, Oh fuck. You know, like you just, <laughs> he, he can't help himself. Uh, you know, he makes the same mistake he did with this girl back in Hoboken 1985 where he follows her and we know, you know, full well that she's up to no good. Uh, and, and we know that he knows it too, but he's just so fucking lonely. He can't help himself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is tragic in its own way, you know, for his character. Um, so, you know, real, real quick, just from their little bar interaction, we learn a couple funny little pieces of, uh, exposition. Apparently, uh, Spielberg, Steven Spielberg was so moved by the events of 11-2 that instead of making Schindler's List, he made a, uh, art house black and white movie called Pale Horse, which was all about the attacks of 11-2, um, which is just, you know, <laughs> maybe in bad taste. I'm not sure, but you know, whatever it's, it's, hey, it's Steven Spielberg it did that. That's his choice. Yeah. Yeah. I love the little, <laughs> the inclusion of like the little, little girl wearing red and everything else is black and white. <laughs> And she's searching for yeah. her family amongst all the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I was just kind of like, eh, there's going to be a couple people who are not going to like We're that. not going to like guarantee that. that. <laughs> but still, it's an alternate universe. You know, it's, 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 it is what it is. Um, you know, obviously I laughed despite a, myself at that, at that, the, the ballsiness of that, of that little throwaway exposition. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, you could, you could reasonably think that if there was, uh, you know, 3 million Americans killed all on one day, 
Uh, and that was much more recent in our minds that, you know, people might not think about the Holocaust quite as much in this alternate, alternate universe. Uh, if it was much more real sure. to them in their, uh, you know, in, in their daily life rather than something that happened, um, you know, many, many decades prior. But, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I was, I, you know, I was like, oh man, they're really going to make, they're really going to do this, really doing this. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's certainly a choice. Um, but you know, um, and the movie's called Pale Horse because that's the name of the band that was playing at Madison Square Garden at the time of the Squid yeah. Attack. Um, which maybe is one of the things that like was was to kind of soften the blow was the fact that she says that the only time she isn't afraid, uh, or at least you know she's she has her whole story, which you know could be total bullshit. Probably is total bullshit. Uh, yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't detect that uh, at all. Um, is that she says that, you know, the, the film makes me feel really good. It's like catharsis for me, which if anything, you could say that, uh, you know, Schindler's List is, is uh, as, as violent of a film as it is. It is very much catharsis to really show, uh, you know, what the Holocaust was like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, actually, that he doesn't suss out that she's lying about this because he does, like, when they're first in the bar, like tell her like oh well i'm a human lie detector and then she like starts listing off a bunch of fake professions and he's like nope that's not it you know try it. and then she eventually says like i'm an accountant and he goes yep that's that's the one so sure. that aspect of his of his skills well, working maybe at that point he takes you know kind of it, it's like, two things it's off. two things like his own bias and wanting to connect with a woman is is one yeah. way that his bias is not seeing the bigger lie and it also reflects how, you know, the, the really big lie that is revealed to him that was the basis of his entire identity that he realizes that, that was completely untrue, too, to the point where he, he just can't fathom it. He's like, my whole thing is being able to spot a lie, but apparently if the lie is big enough or if it lines up with his worldview, he can't see it. Right. Which is yeah. the other big irony uh, of, of this episode. For sure. Um, yeah. So, um, another little funny tidbit from the scene, we learned that, uh, cigarettes are a controlled substance apparently, <laughs> um, which you would, you know, she, they mentioned when they're out on the porch, she's mentioned that she's smoking cigarette and he's like, Oh, well, that's a controlled substance. How'd you get it? Uh, which is just, you know, <clears throat> a kind of funny little, yeah, that was, it was weird. Cause that, you know, you definitely, obviously cops can get away with shit if they want to. But, uh, in the first episode, when, um, Judd comes out of his house, there's three officers standing right there and all three of them are smoking. Uh, and they all kind of like threw it down real quick and pulled their masks up. Like they maybe they weren't <laughs> supposed to be, but I didn't, I didn't even notice that. That's funny. I, I thought, I assume maybe at that moment that it was just like, Oh, don't smoke on the job. Not like, Oh, this is the equivalent of like smoking a joint. Yeah, um, well, you could tell. But, but Judd's doing fucking cocaine in his kitchen, so like, right. what, who's he to say anything? You know? <laughs> so yeah, clearly, like our real world, there's different rules for different people. Yeah, and much different rules for cops, as in, you know, as with our modern, you know, real world. So, um, but that was funny, uh, and actually, I think that's also kind of a small meta commentary on the kind of like neoliberal nanny state politics of people like, sure, yeah, Michael Redford. Bloomberg and. You know, and Redford, uh, Redford's the most, you know, obviously the president. So you see a lot of these nanny state policies 
I'm sure also like large sodas are banned at like, you know, fast sure. food places. And- well, and, and you wonder like how much of that was, was him. And then how much of that was like, uh, Ozymandias, like nitpicking what society should be able to do in his greater society. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> he said, I have two hours. I you have a couple hours. I'm going to tell you my vision. So I wonder how much of that was <laughs> policy laid out for him by Ozymandias, this yeah. Machiavellian, you know, manipulator who probably put him in that seat. Sounds like. Oh yeah. Well, um, he's, so that, he's flat out admitting that he did. Uh, well, he claims he claims seven that, yeah. years, seven years ahead of time. <laughs> so he's very confident in his abilities, apparently. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's you know very interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, lack. I was thinking about this during this scene. You know, uh, the whole idea of the squid attack and people not realizing that it was a hoax. You know, it, it, it's it's kind of crazy to think about how uh fast the internet happened you know like we we were around for the kind of infancy of the kind of consumer internet bubble but um the whole idea that you could literally like google something is is really not that fucking old and you know in a world where that doesn't exist at all i could definitely imagine that the press would have a much tighter lockdown on uh, delegitimizing and stamping out conspiracies. Uh, I mean, well, like about I mean, like you know, we, we have Epstein the internet now. The oh internet. yeah, <laughs> Epstein. Uh, we, we like I was, was going to say, we we have the internet, and look at how many people think that uh, you know school shootings are are uh, a hoax. Uh, look at how many people think that global warming is a hoax, at least in this country. Um, you know, look at how many people believe the nine eleven commission report is factual. You know, and, and that 19 people were able to uh, hijack four planes and somehow uh, take them over and at full throttle, at very low altitude, perfectly fly them into several buildings. Right. Like I. Without I, the assistance of the Saudi Arabian government. And, or the assistance know. of, you know, the, the, you know, whatever you want to call the deep state in our country. Now, do I think there were definitely hijackers on those planes? Absolutely. Do I think they could have flown them into those towers themselves at that fat, uh, at the, that fast of a rate, that low altitude? No way in hell. <laughs> so, uh, you know, clearly there's things we still don't know, right? But most people go, oh, you're 9-11 truther? That's what the fuck is that bullshit? You know, it's like, no, there's still, there's tons of things we don't know about that. Um, so yeah, the, the idea that, you know, I, I'm sure it's worse if you didn't have the internet, but the idea that if we have free access to information, everyone will, will just automatically accept something, uh, you know, it's, it goes right along with, with looking glass, you know, if the lie is big enough, people will believe it. Even if your job is being a lie detector. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, uh, you know, she, he's outside waiting with her and she gets picked up by her friend in a pickup truck. Um, and you know, it, it, it's a piece of lettuce falls off the back of the pickup truck as it's driving away. So, you know, my immediate thought was like, oh, come on, this is fucking hacky. Like really? Like that's how he's going to figure out that she's seven K. But we later learn obviously that this was very blatantly staged to set him up. Um, oh, so, that was immediate. The minute that lettuce fell off, I was like, "Dude, you're you're still being baited, dude. You're this is this is all baited." I didn't really. Yeah, I, did, did. <laughs> I, I should I should have given the show more credit. I should have known better to think that they would be that hacky to be like, "Oh no, this is this is legitimately how he figured it." Like, no. So so they were setting him up. Um, but so you know, he follows him back to this uh, church. Uh, well, the, or to this de- abandoned department store where the church is set up and, you know, their whole base of operations is, it looks like. Mm-hmm. 
Well, he sort of um, admits that he knows he's getting into a trap too. Because he, he says something like, you know, what is he yeah, about to get kicked in the balls again? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he know, he knows it's a trap. It's just he doesn't know exactly how, right? Yeah. Like he, yeah. You can tell he knows he's being baited, but he doesn't, you know, when, when he goes in there, the degree to which he realizes it's all been a setup is is vastly more than he was prepared for. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So he goes in there. Uh, he finds this... Uh, church that he walks past an interesting piece of graffiti I don't, i'm not sure if you if you looked at that too much i wasn't sure if that was supposed oh, to be like the psychic squid's eye or what what specifically that was supposed to represent did you, yeah. have, you have any thoughts on that well it's it's it was the the squid's eye but then around it it was dr manhattan's symbol the the uh, hydrogen mm. atom so it's a mix okay. of things there so it's it's uh that that's what kind of made me think of like 7k if it was a real cult which now it seems like it might be mostly staged as a cult um might be sort of uh not just obsessed with rorschach but also dr manhattan like the whole uh that that uh pdpedia article that was written sort of tongue-in-cheek but like you know uh we should have white flight to mars where our true savior lives right uh which, which did seem somewhat disingenuous but you kind of wonder like is are they um you know they've clearly been putting out propaganda from this little base of operations uh, where they're doing all these other things. But you, you wonder if they've also made other videos with that eye symbol in the background for other purposes. Well, so here's, here's, here's a theory and I'm going to jump around a little bit and we're going to get back to, you know, keep going through this scene. But the idea that the seven K worships Manhattan is interesting because uh, you know, it, it, it's made pretty clear from context clues later on that Vite is actually, in this biodome on uh, Europa, which is one of Jupiter's moons. Uh, and it's actually a moon that uh, we believe has liquid water underneath its ice caps, which is, you know, actually a very good, it, 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 like if Manhattan were to create life from nothing, he would probably need a planet with at least some natural resources, for, uh, resources from which he could work and manipulate into life. So that actually makes a lot of sense that he would build this biodome in, on Europa because he could draw from the natural resources that are buried in the ice caps and, right. you know, et cetera. So the interesting thing about that is that, uh, you know, in, in modern 2019, there's this uh, white supremacist group, pretty famous one uh, that were originally known as identity Europa. Um, and their whole idea was this yeah. utopian white society. They're now called the now, uh, American identity uh, movement. Identity, um, yeah. AIM. Yeah. yeah. So don't be fooled by those fuckers. Um, but um, the inter- the other interesting thing to me, though, is that Manhattan built literally a, a white supremacist. Ut- and this is probably totally unintentional because he just probably cloned, you know, two people. But he built a white supremacist utopia. It's a, literally a, a planet that only has white people on it. As far as we know, it's literally just Vite and, and, and the variations of Mr. Phillips and Mrs. Crookshanks. Uh, right. Well, th- th- that's presuming that the, the, the game warden's comment that their God abandoned them is referring to document. Yeah. And we're, we're which, led to which, believe that those clones are his now and not lady trues, which we kind of, we've been going back and forth as to who actually so, imprisoned him and who built the clones. Yeah. And I, and my take on it is that I think that he experimented, as he said, with creating life in other worlds and then got bored of it and abandoned it. And then Lady True figured out a way to get Vite there and left him there, you know, imprisoned him there, basically. So like Mm -hmm. Manhattan maybe doesn't even know that this is occurring, you know, like that might be what it is. 
So, I, but, but, and we'll get more, we'll speculate more on that when we get to that scene. But I just thought sure. that was an interesting, you know, tidbit with the 7K. For and sure. So, yeah, just real quick though, there was a, yeah, yeah. Um, I know we're not quite there, but the, the, the Europa, it was very obvious to me, you know, we, we've been theorizing what, where, where he was and what kind of, uh, you know, biodome he was in, uh, you know, and how it could be that they, you know, it's clearly it doesn't have a, uh, you know, like a glass <clears throat> ceiling. There's some kind of permeable me- membrane where the atmosphere or, or you know, artificial atmosphere is being held in. But all you got to do is just, you know, fling yourself out into space and eventually you'll just, you know, go on the other side of the wall of the, you know, the Truman show, but you got to have yeah. a real spacesuit out there. Uh, and we're, we're sort of, you know, it, it, it became obvious that the instant you see that shot, that that's Jupiter and he's got to be on one of Jupiter's moons. Right. Uh, yeah. interestingly enough though, like there, there's certain, uh, you know, like internet magazines that'll get press screeners ahead of time so they can make a, a review, a uh, little short, that comes out immediately when the episode comes out. And there was one yeah. for like the ringer, uh, dot com. And they just review pop culture stuff. And it, you could tell the guy hadn't actually watched the episode. He had just read a synopsis and that's, you know, what the script was written for him for. Cause they, they basically said, Oh, and we finally found out that, uh, you know, Ozzy Amandis was on Mars all this time. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no. Did you even, Some bitch, you do you even know? The- like, <laughs> And there the was, planet there was, was white like it was like fucking yeah or even it, maybe you know, i think what he said was he was on a moon of mars and it's like mars don't fucking look like that what the fuck are you talking yeah. about uh it's it so obviously <laughs> jupiter the giant fucking you know sunspot or whatever hurricane on jupiter yeah if you really want to isolate somebody why wouldn't you put them on fucking pluto you know like really put them out there or like the you know the 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 the, the oort cloud where all the fucking like why like we they never in, in movies, put well, anyone further out than Jupiter or Saturn, which is well. I mean, me. I th- I think if my theory is correct, this is the reason because Manhattan had did, had built this little biodome as an experiment to see if he could create life previously on a planet that did have some natural resources to work no, with. I don't, and then I don't later, just this. I mean, like like everything, just never, sci-fi in general. Yeah, it's just like the the solar system stops at Jupiter for the most part. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Well, isn't uh, one of Neptune's moons has has uh, Titan? I think right is. I thought Titan uh, was a Saturn or a yeah Saturn. Saturn? Moon. Is it Saturn? Okay, uh, but Titan yeah, also okay. might have water, but yeah, but yeah. yeah, but regardless, yeah, for sure they well, they stay you, in the you, um, shallow end of the social or the uh, of the uh, solar system for sure. Well, just visually, um, if you're going to do a sci-fi, Jupiter and Saturn are pretty fucking spectacular to look at. Whereas, yeah, uh, yeah nobody wants to look at Uranus. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, one, so. one, one thing to mention uh, too you haven't we've talked about this a couple times the the, the, uh, the sequel to the 2001 is 2010 with Roy Scheider yeah uh, made in the early 80s actually holds up really well as like a, a 80s sci-fi action adventure movie uh, and, and and really plays against the expectation about what we realize how is in 2001 uh or or at least Mm -hmm. plays with the expectation of what's going to happen um but when the the entity or the you know the 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 the, whatever the 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 life form is uh out there that we is sort of like the the life form in 2001 um basically creates a new life on europa and says that they're not allowed to go investigate it that they can have any other moon except Europa, hmm. that that's the special one where it's creating new life of its own. So interesting possible parallel there. I don't know. 
Yeah, that is interesting. And by the way, the reason, uh, you know, other than the fact that it's one of one of Jupiter's moons and it's the only one that visually fits the description, there are several like uh, NASA artist renderings of what the surface of Europa would look like. And it's almost identical to what it looks like in that scene. So, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's 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 almost 99 percent sure it's Europa, but it's certainly certainly Jupiter that he's looking at, not fucking Mars. You idiots who've never seen a <laughs> yeah. gl- never seen a solar system chart before. Yeah, well, the guy um, had to correct an error he made but, from the previous review he did. So, like, this guy's just t- like, how did you get this job? <laughs> like, I don't know. Didn't you have somebody know, that actually watches the show <laughs> be doing this? Oh man, yeah, I know. So, all right, so um, well, back to the back to the department store. So, um. You know, he he walks in the church, and then all of a sudden, you see this thing drop from the ceiling. And I was, and of course, all of us were like, "What the fuck is that?" I, I could, didn't know if it was like a some kind of a flash grenade at first, because it kind of flashes and then drops, and then we don't know what the hell happened with it. Um, but then you immediately see a guy in a Rorschach mask come down and like give out, you know, oh, it's in the church, forty two degrees north, like you know, gives out coordinates or whatever. Um, now uh, he. Uh, <clears throat> eventually walks upstairs and finds uh, a bunch of the uh, seven cavalry guys standing in front of what looks like a fucking like a door like a teleport like a teleportation you know d- d- doorway basically and they're throwing a basketball through it so we realize that's what we see at the end at uh, in the previous scene uh, is this basketball apparently being tele- uh, teleported through space uh, so you know that's weird. Um, and, uh, but you know, he, he eventually walks in there and then, uh, the chick that lured him there, you know, takes her mask off and they, you know, they, they all basically say, look, we brought you here. This was a setup the whole time. Um, you know, re- interesting stuff. So they, they take him hostage or sort of hostage, you know, they, they subdue him, bring him in a room, uh, and one of the seven cavalry guys goes in to talk, uh, and he realizes immediately that it's Senator Keen under the mask. He recognizes his voice. Uh, so shocking. You know, nobody, is, I might add. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is everyone in the, pl- everyone who watched the show was like, yeah, that fucking guy's a racist. Like we pegged it from the front, right from the jump that he was, that, that funeral scene was staged and he wasn't really being abducted and it made no yeah. sense. So. Well, I'm sure the seventh cavalry guy didn't think he was going to get shot in the head because they were confiscating all the guns. Um, so that part, no, of they, they sure was was uh, not part of his end of the deal. But uh, the like you mentioned uh, when we reviewed that episode, that the plan to get out of there was was probably always uh, staged, right? So he would have had no yeah. problem. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's that's you know that's even more clear after this episode, but. Um, you know, so then we get a we get a lot of exposition in the scene. Uh, Keen basically uh, tells uh, Wade that he is. Uh, it, it's unclear, but it seems like he was basically put there to make sure that this. It, so Seventh Cavalry is a real group. You know, it was a real group back on the White Knight um, that that was filled with these these racist, you know, kind of clan dudes who who wanted to, you know. Uh, didn't like redford's america basically so um and they basically put him there as as this kind of you know agent provocateur but like in the opposite direction to make sure that they don't you know commit acts of terrorism but that they serve whatever purpose uh the government seemingly 
sure. wants them to serve. That seems yeah, to be the he's, implication. He's, uh, he's like a CIA plant. Yeah, his FBI excuse plant. about trying to keep the peace read to me like the Empire saying they want to bring order to the galaxy. Like, you know, I'm sure that that's his uh, uh, his cover for infiltrating the group, right? The same with uh, Chief Judd. But, you know, clearly he sees the, the potential to manipulate them for his own designs, right? Because, uh, you know, obviously whatever big plans they have is going to disrupt a lot of people's lives for some other purpose, right? And they, you know, Wade even says, you know, are you going to drop another squid on Tulsa? And then he says, no, we're going to do, we're going to do something, but it's not going to be that. That would be uh, yeah. a lack of creativity on our part. So that makes me question whether or not he is working with Lady True uh, and, 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 and by proxy working with Osmandius. And if any of these people's plans are the same or if all of their plans are the same, that's, that's to me the real, one of the real questions coming out of this episode is that it's clear that Lady True has a big plan revolving around the Millennium Clock. It's mm-hmm. clear that, um, that the Seventh Calvary have some kind of a plan, no doubt helped along in its gestation by uh, Keen infiltrating the group and leading the group. Uh, and it's clear that Osmandius has a grand plan for Tulsa. But like, are these all the same plan or are none of these the same plan? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly these, you know, rednecks in, in fucking Rorschach masks didn't uh, invent a interdimensional teleportation <laughs> yeah. portal On themselves. Right. And, you know, when, uh, when Looking Glass is searching the truck, we see him, you know, pull that tarp back and there's a, you know, the heads of lettuce, but there's also a box he pulls out that has the true logo on it. True so Industries cl- logo on it. Yeah, it's clearly a connection there. Um, but yeah. But did they it, steal it, that or is that given to, you know, that's... I, yeah, I don't knows? think you could steal from Lady True and get away with it. Like, there, there's clearly, we're meant to, to believe there's an association um, of, of them but, being in cahoots with each other. But that did look like almost like a battery, and we do know how ubiquitous her tech is. So maybe that's just like literally a car battery, you know? Like mm. they've been stealing car, like who knows? I mean, maybe I, I, I don't know because they were collecting watch batteries earlier in the you know in the in the first episode. That that was what Judd found. But who knows if we could trust what Judd found because he was the seven cavalry and though. Yeah, who knows, man? Like this—that's why this show is so fucking like layered and and you know so many potential storylines that are obviously sure. converging but we don't know well, it, uh, until it happens we're not going to really fully understand and I'm fine with it think, because they keep yeah. tying up they keep they keep answering multiple big questions every episode and then posing new ones so it's like oh i i don't have to really worry if they're going to explain that because they've consistently been doing that every episode uh you know just to to move it along and i think this one probably more than anything some of our biggest questions where the fuck is vite the whole time you know, they yeah. find, we finally got that answered. It's like, okay, now we're now we're centered in, in knowing where <laughs> in the, the galaxy he is, or you know, if he, if he even was in this galaxy. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it, he was it, in this galaxy. Turns out, but just not not where we thought. And by the way, that that shot with where we 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 almost like intimated, like, oh, is he on the moon? Where it dissolved from him looking through the the looking glass, and then mm-hmm. it dissolved into that shot of the moon was almost kind of a clever little head fake because he is on a moon. He just right. isn't on our moon. You know, it was like, so then I, to I guess that. I, in, in that same respect, the, the tracking shot that opens up episode three of his segment where you see that globe of this almost just completely like op- opaque gray without any features yeah. on it. Is that a, a, a globe of Europa? We're led to believe then. 
It's possible. It's possible Europa's got a side that's constantly in darkness. Like I, I don't know the the, yeah. the lunar you know cycle of of Europa, so it's possible that that was just the oh, dark side of Europa. <laughs> I happen to know it because I looked it up today. <laughs> uh, so uh, Europa orbits Jupiter every three point five days, uh, and is locked by gravity to Jupiter. So the same hemisphere of the moon is always faces the planet, same as our moon, right? Uh, so, and we've also speculated how, uh, you know, how many years he's really been gone. Right. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just earth years is what he, they're counting. Uh, because if he is on Europa, which is orbiting Jupiter, uh, Jupiter year is 12 years to orbit the sun. So clearly he's not been out there for, uh, what would be the equivalent of, um, what like uh it's gonna carry the one like 70 something years? Years. <laughs> yeah whatever yeah. Uh, yeah. so yeah, yeah they're, okay. they're, they're so, counting earth years for those for those uh those anniversary cakes they're baking for them yeah and maybe time even works differently within this dome that we assume manhattan you know probably built so who knows like you know but it, you know it's an interesting interesting thing to think about um yeah, meaning that like inside that dome, it would keep time with Earth, uh, Earth's rotations rather than you know be subject mm. to the to the well cycle. Clearly, whatever sun is shining in his you know biodome is a simulated sun, right? So you would imagine yeah, if it, if it's if it's supposed to you know if everything looks like it does in you know Wales, uh, then whatever cycle he he's on you know, with, with fake sun, <laughs> uh, is sounds like that is, is replicating a, a earth sun or up, you know, yeah. The cycle it would be is if you were on earth. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, in the scene, um, we get this, we get the iconic line where, where <laughs> Senator Keene, uh, basically proposes to, uh, to Wade that he should not, you know, that he should give up what's going on with Angela uh, and, ex- and, you know, and the grandfather in exchange for them, not just going in there with a death squad and killing her, you know, just, just basically get her to give herself up. Um, yeah, and he basically killed her called- and her entire fucking family is what his line yeah. is. So, yeah. Uh, when he uh, says, that's where the squid that, pro quo line comes in. A sprint. <laughs> gave us it. Squid, squid pro quo. quo. Uh, but yeah, it's a great it's a great line um, because right before that he says, "I'm not a murderer, I'm a politician," which of course is just like, <laughs> which yeah, is like, okay. meaning I'm a legal murderer, you know. I'm yeah, just, I would I'm never murder anyone murderer. except for a minute later where I fucking threaten to kill an entire family, women, and children. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, right. So yeah, he's evil. Yeah, you could tell, and he's he's like evil politician evil, which is you know as we talk about on our main show all the times, pretty fucking pure evil. Like he's like. You know, maybe maybe given the right circumstances would be like Henry Kissinger evil. You know, who knows? Yeah. Would, um, that, would that be lawful evil or uh, neutral evil? Probably neutral evil because I don't because Henry Kissinger has no uh, compunctions about breaking the law. So it's hard to call him lawful. You know, he always says like the uh, the uh, the the uncon the I forget the exact quote or some really fucked up quote about how like, you know, the unconstitutional that that takes time or something like that or the illegal that we can do or something. I don't know. He's a piece of right. shit. Yeah, but there's always um, a but, plan to it. So you really couldn't call him chaotic evil, right? No, so. no, no. Yeah, that's why neutral is probably neutral evil is probably evil the right would, answer. Would describe uh, Senator yeah. Keene. Um, no, that jet the general from from uh, Vietnam is 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 chaotic evil, uh, whose name is escaping me at the moment. The fucking lunatic uh, uh, general, who, William Westmoreland. 
not Westmoreland. The um the, the other subject of um of fog of war um who who they use to contrast with with McNamara um. Mm, okay. uh, you, you remember talking about? The I, don't, I don't know who we talked about. Yeah, I, I know West indiscriminately firebomb um, cities and. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know that one, but uh, yeah. So yeah, keen, lawful, uh, no, neutral, evil. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> oh, General Lemay, Jet Curtis Lemay. That was the name I couldn't remember. Remember General? Like they t- they would talk a lot about in in Vietnam. Like McNamara would always try to kind of paint himself as like the the reluctant you know doing the wrong thing reluctantly because he thought it was the right thing versus lemay who was just a fucking bloodthirsty butcher who would firebomb cities indiscriminately and kill civilians when realistically mcnamara you know enabled all of these things to happen through his actions and yeah well there's also uh i forget his fucking name now the guy who was the the main general in the korean war that wanted us to to drop multiple nuclear bombs on korea uh lovely yeah, well, he he was a he was like a war hero general from World War II, and everyone thought, oh, he's sane. And uh, then he was like, well, we have nukes. Why aren't we using them? Like, we dropped them on Japan. Why wouldn't we drop them on Korea? Uh, so, it, but it was like basically the plan all along was, you know, after we scare the Russians with our nuclear bombs in Japan, we would never use them ever again, right? And he was just like, why the fuck not? Why wouldn't we? You know, we already killed five million people in in North Korea. Why wouldn't we kill the rest of them? And they they basically he got recalled to Washington D.C. because they were like, no, he's crazy, he's fucking insane. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're fucking monsters as a kind. Like the people that we've given power to in this country, I mean, even just the the act of dropping the atomic bomb in the first place is just a monstrous decision. Um, you know, it, but the fact that we dropped the second one, you know, as basically a final, you know, yeah. kind of death blow, and we didn't even need well, to, is just it, it, the, the so fucking monstrous. J- Japan didn't tell the rest of the country what had happened to it. Nobody in Japan knew what happened except for people that were immediately around. Really? Yeah, they didn't tell anybody. They didn't want to warn wow. anybody. No I internet. Mean, what, what would they do? What, what, would, what would you people even do? It would just be mass panic, and that's the reason why they didn't do it. But, yeah. you know, it, Fuck, it, man, everything about crazy. that. There's so many fucked up things about that. There's even um, stories that uh, FDR put the entire Pacific fleet at Pearl Harbor uh, as close as they could possibly get it to Japan to uh, get them to want to attack us to in order for us to have a reason to uh, go full-scale war against them. So, yeah, I mean, it's just fucking up. As a species, no other species is, is, is so focused on killing itself. You know, some here and there, you know, a tiger will kill the cubs of, you know, another tiger's, uh, you know, litter or whatever in order to procreate, but this, this, yeah. no, this is, <laughs> there's no reason. And for that's literally, and that's literally, and like, and I know people would probably be like, Oh, this is a tangent. This is literally what the entire entirety of Watchmen is about and the entirety of Vite's plan. And you know what Vite thinks he's stopping and what yeah, he's creating yeah, in the wake absolutely. of it. But, you know, uh, yeah. What, what is the, what's the, um, what's the trade off for world peace? Uh, well, you drop nuclear bombs and kill, uh, you know, one and a half million people. This is basically yeah. what what Vite did in New York City. Yeah, no, it's yeah, in exchange for billions. Yeah, I think save billions. I'm going to kill millions of people. <laughs> you know, so you know exactly. It's to say he did the exact same thing uh, that we did with the with the you know atomic bombs on a on an even bigger scale. Um, so yeah, um, 
Yeah, where are we? Squid, squid pro quo. Uh, squid pro quo. Um, Can't say it either. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to say. It's a tongue twister. Squid so the, pro quo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This whole scene with with Keen, uh, I had a lot of tension because not because a Keen seems like evil and dangerous. He comes off as kind of like I can threaten you with a smile, but he doesn't seem like a real existential threat, right? He's just kind yeah. of like the messenger in this scene. But that huge bank of monitors you know, identical to the huge bank of TV monitors that Andrew Veidt had. That was the thing that gave me all the anxiety in that scene. Cause they're, they, you know, it's there, you see it in the, when they come into the room, but then they don't show yeah, it for a while. They only show the two of them talking and you're like, okay, what's, you know, what's it's the, just out of frame. Right. It's like, what is he about to see? That's the thing that scares uh-huh. me is, you know, he's, he's about to be shown you know, the truth, quote unquote. Uh, and then of course we see the, you know, the, 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 pre-recorded message from uh, Andrew Veidt. They did a great job of de-aging, uh, of de-aging. Uh, um, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. Yeah. And they were kind of helped by the fact that like made it look like kind of old eighties TV version. So they didn't have to get too detailed <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on it. But, uh, and you really realize like his affectation. Still that goofy accent back. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't quite as pronounced as now. Like now, now yeah. it almost feels British. Whereas then it was kind of more just like a transatlantic, uh, Posh, like, es- yeah. espionage. Erudite. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, the, what he says, you, you, the, the, the reaction that looking glass has realizing that all this time, this whole time, his life has been ruined from crippling fear. And to you know, he must be thinking like, what, have, what kind of life could I have had? if I would have known this all this time. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, and the scene is just incredible. And this scene, again, was, you know, I mentioned earlier in the episode how uh, I got severe loss vibes from a lot of this episode. And this was another scene which was extremely reminiscent and almost blocked in the exact same way as the, uh, I don't know how, did you make it even the season two of Lost? Or I know you said you checked out pretty uh, early I, on that I show. I saw episodes that were kind of hit or miss, right? Like I didn't start yeah. it and then. People didn't watch TV like that. It was just like, oh, if it's on, I'll watch it, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, was before I, DVR and shit. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have a big sense of the continuity, but okay. I'm sure people listening to this probably yeah. are familiar with yeah, it. So, and I'll explain to them. But I actually think you should, it, it, I think it's on Netflix. It, it, it might be worth you just checking out the first season if you're ever bored one night. I think it, it, it certainly, holds up better you know i i think the whole show holds up better i'll ride for that show even when people like you know shit all over it but regardless the, it, it's super reminiscent of a scene in the second season where they find uh this bunker on this island and uh you know they they go down there and there's a bank of monitors and they find a, a vhs tape with a strange logo on it and put it in and you know the revelations of this expository insane tape you know rock their fucking world i'll leave it at that for people that haven't seen it but super reminiscent of that scene um so i think that's certainly you know him paying homage to that the the mystery box nature of that show um and certainly this episode you know in general paid paid homage to the kind of mystery box nature of of lost one of the things that i think it did is you know we don't know what is real and what isn't real at this point, or at least through looking glasses uh, perspective, he doesn't know what's real or not. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the whole time now that we know there's like a a video he's about to watch, what is it going to be? And is it going to be credible? Uh, And I think, you know, because the bank of monitors was, was so reminiscent of uh, Adrian Veidt's wall of, of, of TV monitors to monitor all the different news stations 
we get the sense that like the, you know, whatever is on these TVs is factual. Right. And then of course we see it's Vite himself straight up admitting what he did. What we already know is true. Right. So that's that, you know, in that like moment, a super hammy way too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and we realize, you know, it's the, the we, we know that looking glass knows it's true. Right. And the rest of the episode, he's struggling with that truth and he can't quite change right off the bat, you know, as we see at the very end, but it's, it, you know, it's like, this is the bombshell that if the whole world saw this, they would also know it was true. There wouldn't be any doubt. There wouldn't be any conspiracy theory. This, this video would let everyone uh, know that what had happened was, you know, not a hoax, but it was, you know, a false flag that it didn't come from another dimension. <laughs> that it, it was staged uh, and did kill all those people, but it was done intentionally. Yeah. I mean, this is like the, the 2019 real world equivalent of like, uh, if we found a video of Hillary Clinton being like, yeah, nope, totally fucking had Epstein murdered like that motherfucker. You know, he, he, he would bring bill on these trips and he would be, would bring these like fucking 14 year old girls around him. And like, you know, he, he would have destroyed our, our family's political career. So of course I had to have him. Like this would be, and I'm not saying that I think that that's necessarily the case, but I'm just saying like, that would be the, the 2019 equivalent of like the most earth shattering video you could ever imagine. I think you know, from a, is the kind of person who knows that, uh, you know, the blood of powerful men is fueled, uh, by the, by having sex with teenage girls. Like she just accepts that that's the way the world <laughs> it, it, it's an accepted. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. Accepted part of their, 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 you know, marriage of convenience. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, um, so, and you know, a couple little interesting tidbits from that video, obviously he, he predicts and, and, you know, sowed the seeds for Redford's presidency. Um, he, you know, mentioned that he would be maintaining like small squid attacks. So we can at least assume that he initially was the one dropping the squids. Now, the fact that he's, you know, in prison probably means that the government, you know, Redford in seeing the utility of this, this piece that was established by this, um, by this false flag attack, the government basically took up those duties and is now, you know, carrying out these, these squid, you know, uh, droppings or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them squid rain Man, i just i really hope that e- even if we don't get an actual scene with the real robert redford playing himself as the president that there's at least be, yeah. like a uh, you know i mean why wouldn't he do it why wouldn't they at least reach out to him and like why would he say no uh or, or at least we get like a like a uh like a, a psa or tv commercial with him as himself on it like <laughs> at least that would be like okay that was pretty fucking cool like <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I, and I think we will. I mean, we'll see. But, you know, it, it seems like too 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 good of a cameo to fucking pass up. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, the, from there, though, from that scene of, of Vite in the video, we go immediately to him uh, in in his in his captivity. Uh, and, you know, he's suiting up with the space suit. He's got uh, a hose, which looks like it actually provides oxygen from his uh biodome which is i guess how they got around the fact that they probably didn't have oxygen tanks they kind of just you know fed him the breathable air from the actual environment you know it's a long enough tube to do that um and they strap him up to this uh into this catapult and launch him and we see he you know breaks through the barrier and we see for the first time that as predicted you know on this podcast and every everywhere else basically that he is in space that he is in this biodome being held captive um and you know it, it we see jupiter so we 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 
you know, have established through context clues that he is in fact uh, on Europa. Um, and he, you know, finds all the, the kind of corpses of the, the, the Phillips and Crookshanks that he launched through there in his, in his tests slash, you know, blowing off steam efforts with the catapult. Um, and he starts to pick them up and arrange them. And I think it becomes clear pretty quickly that he's setting up, uh, like a, a message he's trying to spell out a message on the on the lunar surface of of europa um so you know that 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 was amusing an amusing scene how just casually he kind of breaks limbs off and like rips you know oh yeah well that was also like him uh dragging various body parts to to build something together very reminiscent of uh the black freighter story where he's literally building the boat out of oh dead he builds bodies. the boats out of the dead bodies of his crewmates yeah mm-hmm. that's true i didn't even think yeah. of that um one of the things i noticed too though you know when he uh you know after he gets the attention of the satellite that's out there that apparently if you make something big enough the satellite just like whoa, 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 oh hey what's that uh you know <laughs> and he gets he gets yanked back into the biodome he doesn't come falling hundreds of feet out of the air he's almost at ground level like he just gets pulled out of the tree line uh, almost as if the, you know, the membrane between this, this biodome and space, uh, is, is much more like the teleportation portal that the yeah. seven cavalry is throwing the basketball back and forth from. And it also kind of answers, well, you know, the, the, the Philip that he threw out there to space with a rope tied around that came back frozen. How come he didn't That's shatter back. after falling down? Like, so apparently the, the, the you know, you go in one spot, you don't necessarily come back out, you know, through the, through the same area. So there's a little bit of a, uh, a time space displacement Weird physics. There. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was amusing. You know, he, he brought him back in. I, you know, I didn't see much speculation about this online. Or, or is, are we like 80% sure that that's another Mr. Phillips as the game warden? Somebody, somebody said the chin was totally different, but I, I he couldn't didn't really, really sound him. like him. But who knows? I mean, I don't know if that's significant. It, 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 anytime I think a character is wearing a mask and we're yeah. not I, supposed I guess to know it his proves, identity, it's probably significant. <laughs> it proves the point that, you know, all you had to do to, to hide... Uh, the identity of Superman was put on a pair of glasses. You know, apparently, like, well, I don't know <laughs> yeah. who that is now. It's who completely beyond my powers of perception. Yeah, no, for sure. I, and I think the fact that that Phillips is such a generic faced character uh, helps play into the uncertainty about that. If it was like, you know, uh, Vite under a mask, we'd fucking know immediately. Hey, that's that's Jeremy Irons. But, you know generic white guy that like sounds like anybody it's it could be anybody so but um, they also still haven't really given him a close-up he's always in either a wide shot yeah they do a good job of not letting you really see him too close so yeah yeah um yeah so uh you know vite uh is placed under arrest so i guess we'll we'll find out what that means uh he's already gets his ass work too he mouths off to him and he just like fucking beats him up and you know, kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, gives a little diss at their creator. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And that, and that again, you know, we speculated earlier that that seems to indicate that they were at least created by Manhattan. Um, and I, I think, you know, my theory about him creating this kind of bubble universe to see how life, you know, if he can create life and then kind of abandoning it, uh, it seems to check out. Uh, so it's possible that you know, people were speculating, oh, did Manhattan imprison him or did Lady True? I think it's a little bit of both. It's Manhattan maybe created the prison 
not thinking it was a prison, just thinking it was, you know, a little experiment of a pocket of life. And then true somehow found it and maybe, you know, created a teleportation device to get people there. Cause we can't get people there with modern spacecrafts. I mean, there's no, you know, to get to, well, to Europa. Satellites up there. We're, we're sort of led to believe that uh, the satellite is not owned by whoever imprisoned him. If he's trying to get its attention, um, that would seem to be that uh, whatever technology we have on Mars that is supposedly allegedly monitoring Dr. Manhattan is also elsewhere in the universe. And, Vite is aware of it. Maybe that's it's possible, but you know it's it's a lot easier to get a satellite somewhere than to get a person. Oh yeah, no, like, I, we haven't I, even I, got. I, you know what I mean? It, like, so, it, so who knows if that's like if we're going to follow the theory that the uh, the thing that fell out of the sky that uh, Lady True was trying to buy the Clark's family farm for as a crash oh, site. Yeah. That if that uh, was fire, there's, that's there's really some kind of vehicle that Vite is trying to get his hands on. Now, I don't. I mean, that satellite didn't look like it was something you could, you know, fly around inside of. But if that's out there, then there could be other things we haven't seen yet. I mean, it's very. There could be. Maybe our theory is is, is maybe it's not Vite then the fact because I we I think we were working on the assumption that he was at least that was on the assumption that he was either on the moon or on Mars. Now that we know he's as far right. away as he is, I can't imagine him getting in any kind of like single person craft and getting back to Earth and like. Maybe less than you know. Maybe or if there are, is, if there is like teleportation portals, maybe he knows how where one is that's nearby maybe. that gets him closer to Earth, uh, to maybe. a vehicle. Maybe there's you know jump off points. Um, you know they said that they filmed all of Jeremy Irons' scenes uh, in Wales for all nine episodes, so there's a chance mm-hmm. he may not even make it back to Earth. Right, that this yeah. is completely a separate story. Now, Lindelof said they are converging stories, but we don't know in what way. But uh, despite that, saying that there was a, a Vite segment for each of the nine episodes, uh, there's actually one episode that has no Vite segment at all. And I'm pretty sure it's the next episode because they didn't have any preview of him. It was all just this like black and white acid trip that Angela's having. So I think this might I be the next think episode that's... we don't see them. I actually think that that's a little bit of a head fake that they want us to think that it's all Angela and then maybe like the last scene or so. There's no way like every time the show's done a um, character centric episode, it's always done a really good job of not only focusing on them, but also like checking in on other stories. So I'd actually be surprised yeah. if it didn't at least check in on Vite and check in on Tulsa or, you know, or, or on Wade or, but, it's, or it's so especially on Wade. I, know, I read today there is one. one episode with no Vite interlude whatsoever. Mm. I just figured based on the preview, maybe, maybe. next one, but well, you yeah. know, but it, it almost has to be because the critics only got the first six, ep- six episodes as screeners. So if they know that, then that maybe it means that it is next episode. Yeah, that's true. Because last the next episode is the last episode that no none of the press has seen. So that that's that's a good uh, good point there too. Wow. Um, but yeah. so <laughs> it's speculate well, but, all all, <laughs> <it's been> all <laughs> whole podcast just on doing no for speculation. sure for sure. And well, and so the, but and we what we didn't mention is that the message he spells out is "Save me, D." And we don't see the rest of it. And I think the immediate assumption is, oh, well, save me, Dr. Manhattan, although that's a really fucking long thing to spell out. Maybe Dr. M. But maybe that's a the fact that they don't show us what it actually says is probably intentional uh, and probably is there. So we speculate, hey, maybe it doesn't say save me, Dr. Manhattan. Maybe it says save me, Dan, you know, meaning Night Owl. Maybe it says save me, 
damn it like who knows like who knows what it's like so that's what do you do you think it says dr m or dr manhattan or you think it says something else completely I don't know. We have sort of speculated that, uh, you know, he was in prison for whatever reason by Dr. Manhattan, but it was clear at the end of the Watchmen uh, graphic novel that he didn't condemn or condone what he did. Right. So why would there be any animosity between them? Right. If, if maybe he doesn't know he's there, especially. Yeah. 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 Or, or he, you know, we don't know whose satellite that is. I think that's the key is he's trying to get attention to that satellite. So if that satellite is just like, you know, a NASA satellite, that's one thing, uh, you know, because clearly the, the gov- governments were looking for him. He, mu- he must have known that at one point. Uh, or if it belongs, I mean, I don't know why Manhattan would have a satellite because he can see everything everywhere on his own anyway. Uh, or maybe it's to make it ubiquitous so that once it's covered in the news, Manhattan sees it because he's just, you know, generally monitoring like major world events or right, something. Right. If he's anywhere near the earth, you know, that, that's, that's the thing is, you know, is if, if he set up new life on Europa, that would kind of contradict what he says in the comic when he leaves, uh, Vite. he says, I'm going to a different galaxy to create new life. Yeah. So well, they, and if we're to believe that he actually is, well, if we're to believe he's actually on Mars, then maybe he decided against leaving the solar system and decide and, or leaving the galaxy and decided, look, I'm not going to stay on earth cause I can't relate to these fucking people, but I'll stay close by in case they need me or in case some, or in case, in case X, you know, maybe he still has some feelings for Lori left, some humanity left, like who knows what it is. But, um, so he decided, look, I'll create new life. I'll hang around in the, in the galaxy. I just won't stay with you fucking people. Um, but you know, it occurred to me while I was thinking about this, if he was trying to get him, he would have just wrote, save me, John J O N. That's a lot fucking easier than Dr. Manhattan. You know, you're, you're going to run out of bodies eventually. Um, uh, we so, don't know how long he's been doing that, though. Uh, you get the impression that he knew all those bodies would be there. Right. And that this is, well, yeah, this is the first did, time yeah. he's ever gotten up there. Uh, and you would you would presume that, you know, if, if that air cable goes all the way down, he could stay up there as long as he needed to. Right. You would imagine... Uh, piling up hundreds of bodies would take uh, a while. <laughs> uh, although it looks like they're sort of dehydrated. Like he picked one up like it didn't weigh anything. Of course, now he's also on Europa, so like nothing would weigh anything anyway, right? You could, yeah, you exactly. could, you could pick up 500 pounds and it wouldn't fucking bother him. Um, but it seems like also because he's trying to appeal to Dr. Manhattan's humanity, he would call him John anyway if it was directed towards him, which is why I think maybe the D is not actually Dr. Manhattan, but it's something else. else entirely someone else entirely yeah so i don't know i bet we'll see i guess i'm sure we'll find out in the next couple of weeks um <clears throat> yeah um let's see uh uh so yeah from there we uh get the scene back at the precinct uh where uh wade uh looking glass comes back to his desk uh, and Angela comes over and he, you know, has this conversation with her where, you know, it, it becomes immediately evident that the cactus is still there very prominently in the foreground. Um, uh, and, you know, he's he's trying to incriminate her, basically, uh, in order to save her life, because he you know knows that if he doesn't, they're going to fucking kill her and her and her whole fucking family, as Keen said, Um mm-hmm. So he gets her to admit that the pills came from her grandfather. Um, Lori immediately moves in and arrests her, uh, but not before she takes the pills. And that's uh, where we're going to leave them for the episode because 
uh, the, you know, obviously next episode looks like it's going to be largely focused on Angela and we'll talk about the preview after we talk about this last scene, but, um, well, they, they definitely made it look like she, you know, like we're aware of this history of the Tulsa race riots and clearly there's a museum all about it. Right. But, you know, for her to really understand what her, her grandfather's involvement is, you know, for her to actually experience all that, I think that's kind of like the, the, the gap they're trying to bridge with her. Yeah. Uh, so that, uh, you know, maybe because he, he said that whatever he's about to do in three days is going to uh, piss her off. It's going to make her feel betrayed, whatever. So, yeah, uh, she'll never forgive him. But potentially if she experiences the same memories he has, you know, if his memories are to be uh, believed to actually be his and be real. Uh, we, we've already mentioned that, he, you know, he looks much younger than 100. Uh, and, and, you know, they've sort of said, how could he have killed, uh, you know, Judd if he was 100? There's no way. Um, so, yeah, there, there's definitely something else going on there that we don't know. So I'm interested to see why they would kind of shift gears and do a whole episode of her tripping out having a black and white acid flashback um, unless there was a really, really good reason for it. Right. Like it's not just going to be like a, you know, you know, in like a, some TV shows where they'd have a 25 episodes per season, like a bottle you know, episode. To they'd, kill time, yeah. Or yeah. Like, or the, there's a writer's strike. Right. So they have like a <laughs> care, uh, an episode where the character is like sick and has like all these fever dreams of like things that happen from other episodes. And it's sort of like a montage of like Star Trek did that a couple times and it was terrible. Uh, yeah, but like they wouldn't just do something like that. They, they definitely show little bits of things that we'd already seen before from the, the Tulsa uh, race riots that uh, clearly were led to believe she's going to, you know, in her memory experience firsthand now. Yeah. And I think we'll also learn whether or not, you know, he's actually hooded justice. I think we'll learn that next week if he actually is. Cause I think that'll, I'm sure come up in his, in his memories and, you know, maybe the reasoning behind yeah. why he decided to start, you know, f- fighting outside of the law. And obviously that might actually be, you know, an interesting thing I just thought about that might be a good transition for her because she's now kind of an enemy of enemy of, of the, of the police and an enemy of, you know, the state basically. Uh, and the fact that he maybe started fighting, crime as a vigilante you know outside of the laws because that the fucking cops themselves were involved in the tulsa race riot on the side of the white supremacists you know dropping bombs from the you know prop planes and shit so it's possible that she's actually this is going to maybe further her divide from the police force uh and onto her she's going to become basically a fugitive and vigilante in the vein of night owl and the original Mm. you know silk specter when they were outside the loss i wonder if that's kind of where that's going this time it's personal (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but and and i I would very much welcome that because you know i think that's you know i think we've speculated from the beginning this is not going to be like a super pro cop show considering the state of policing in 2019 america and the fact that the show is completely uh devoted to uh race and you know america's original sin of slavery and things of that nature i doubt that the show is going to be like oh yeah and that the way to solve it is to just make all the cops black that's the way to solve racism um i don't think damon lindelof is that much of a fucking robert redford liberal that he would do something like that something so tone deaf no yeah and that was why you know i mentioned this last week that i really hated the, the the theory that uh cal is actually dr manhattan which would just completely it rob just that character too, of agency yeah uh and, and and lindelof even said you know there was things that i there was ideas that i had that my you know very progressive woke writers room uh, basically told me i couldn't do 
or that were bad ideas. And part of being a good showrunner is to listen to your writers and realize when you're making a mistake. And he said that uh, it was about a half an hour long interview. He went into a lot of detail. I watched. Uh, so yeah, I, I just don't think that the a show that's that's explicitly about white supremacy would end up having uh, a very positive uh, black father figure. Uh, actually be a Dr. Manhattan in disguise. That'd yeah, just be yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh, no, that, come on, guys. Did you listen to that uh, podcast, the official podcast that he did with uh, the I, Chernobyl guy? No, I haven't. And I probably won't until after we're done with our podcast. Um, like, I want to get little bits and pieces of things. Yeah. But I don't want to listen to like a whole whole podcast worth of material because then it's just kind of like, I, I don't want to just be repeating stuff that he already said on it, you know? So I want to get yeah, like a little, uh, little bit of background info, but not a whole, whole, you know, not that much where I'm just replicating what they already did. Because you actually mentioned that on the, but that's probably just an anecdote that he breaks out for all of the interviews or you know around the show about the writers' room. Um, yeah. But yeah, but so um, from there we get to the last scene, which is Wade. Uh, arriving home we see the eds packages arrived his overnight uh alarm system uh and he puts it in the trash um so we see you know we see him put it yeah we see he puts (laughs) it in the trash walks inside and then goes "Eh, you know what and obviously i think that's you know to show that he's you know even though he knows it's fake or maybe it's you know has a good inkling that it that the whole thing is a hoax it's still he's his identity is still so much you know it's so tied into to that fear and that constant vigilance that that's not something you just immediately are like, okay, well, I'm never going to, you know, do a drill again and I'm never going to wear uh reflected reflectite or whatever the fuck it was yeah. called well, again. You like, notice he took that he, when he's thrown it away, he doesn't have anything on his head. The first time we've seen him without a mask or the, the tinfoil line or the hat, hat in the whole yeah. episode. Uh, yeah. Trauma doesn't go away. I mean, trauma, uh, real post-traumatic stress, uh, disorder is rooted in believing that the trauma will happen again at any moment and mm-hmm. trying to get over that fear is even if it's the only thing that only happened to you once uh especially when it's so much a part of his identity just that doesn't doesn't go away um yeah. but at least he at least for a moment he kind of you know is is willing to think about the idea of not having this completely insular life now uh, you know, of course, the way it ends is a black van pulls up, smashes over his trash can uh, after he's already gone into the house. And we see four uh, 7K goons come out with shotguns, come walking up to the house. And my first inclination was that they now that he had done the thing for Angela, you know, that they had used yeah. him for that, that they have other things they want to use him for. And now they're going to kidnap him and, and do other things. But you had a alternate theory. Well, so I think that they, I think Keen told him half truths. Like, I think Keen told him what he needed to tell him in order to get him to give up Angela and and, and give up that. Because I think they genuinely were in the dark as to what happened to Judd. So I think that they used used him to get Angela to give herself up. And then we're going to take him out so that he didn't expose the fact that Keen was running the 7K and that, you know, th- that all of this was going on. Like, I think they, they kind of led him on to think that he was working with them when really he was just their useful idiot to give, to get Angela, you know, to give herself up. And then they were just going there to, to, to fucking, well, he, I mean, you he, don't he tip, you know, him, show up like that. Yeah. I, I think he already said, well, if you tell anyone, I'll just tell everyone you're crazy, which everyone already thinks you're crazy. So, uh, it, at least in that regard, 
I think that he didn't have any worry about that. But, you know, of course, 7K, we've we've established, uh, doesn't necessarily do what they're told to by superiors. Um, you know, when the when the the first time we see the guy and he kills shoots the cop through the windshield and throws the lettuce in there, you know, it's clear that Judd uh, didn't approve of that when he says, why would you start a war over lettuce? Like he's just like, he doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want his yeah. fellow cops to get killed. And clearly that move was, was uh, done on the spot. Uh, so it could be very well be that Keen was, was fine with the situation as it is, but other people in the seven K were not and really are going there. But you, you, what you told me before off air seemed to sound like you thought that uh, looking glass was going to, you know, like, oh, I think he's I think he's going to get the jump on them. And I think it's actually because he can't let go of his trauma. He went back to get that alarm. I think he's going to go into his bunker and they're going to expect him to be in his house. So he's going to be in his bunker when they're in his house. He's going to get tipped off to the fact that they're in his house because he's going to hear them or, you know, something, some kind of alarm. He's, he's like a super prepper and he's been like ready for exactly to happen. And, and he's all of his and he's got, rage I'm sure, arsenal down in that. <laughs> fucking bunker yeah. and he's gonna f- take these fucking guys out you know they're gonna come for yeah. him he's gonna take him out i think that would be consistent with what we've seen of the other characters who uh, are are suffering from trauma when they are uh put in a fearful situation they just fucking cut loose right like angela yeah just goes out like pummels that guy's face to to nothing uh Lori doesn't really get pushed that hard but you know she shoots this guy in the back three times and very easily could have killed him uh, we're led to believe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're looking last kind of the the third main character who suffered trauma. That yeah, if, if he feels threatened, we'll see a whole different side to him. That uh, you know, like well, we already saw him smash the shit out of that that little alarm bell. And, you know, he's he's clearly got some rage behind the fear. Yeah, and and you know, I don't think the show is as hacky as like a show like The Walking Dead's become in later years, where like, hey, we're gonna give this character the, their own episode and a ton of d- character development and exposition because we're gonna kill him off the next episode. We want <laughs> yeah. you to be super sad. Like they're not gonna do that shit. Come on, this is oh, this is yeah. a better show than that. You know, like this is not. And, you you know, know, there's nothing we, wrong with killing off major characters. That no, 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 exactly. But but, but, like but said, that they're not gonna like, tip it. That oh, much, they finally you know? have the best episode of this character ever and then we get rid of them like that <laughs> yeah that literally is how you lose your audience is, is yeah. doing it that and way the ratings reflect that with the walking dead unfortunately <laughs> yeah but, um so yeah i i can't wait for the next episode i, I do hope that we get at least an interlude like at the end of the episode with wade to see that he you know because i'm sure that's going to be a fucking balls to the wall scene um whatever ends up happening with him uh but I think uh, obviously we're focusing largely on Angela, but this, this episode was incredible, you know, top to bottom. It was a fucking thrill ride. Lots of, lots of answered questions, a million more questions set up, but you know, all of them make sense. None of them seem like they're just questions for the sake of questions, you know, things that lost got accused of in later years. Like I, I think the show is just really tightly plotted and really well, uh, well fucking written, well acted, well made. It's just, I, I I love the experience on Sundays of like tuning into this. It's just such a such a yeah. just such a pleasure every week, and I can't believe there's only like four episodes left. It fucking sucks. So, do you think we'll but see the octopus awesome. again or the squid monster again? Like, are we gonna? Well, I mean, if we if our theories last week about how this Millennium Clock is actually some kind of a time travel device are true it might be possible that we do get to see some of the events of the giant squid attack in 85, but 
I, and I'm well, fine either way if we do or we don't. I don't yeah. know. Though. Well, I just because they've kind of with any of the flashback scenes, they have revisited them. You know, like the Tulsa race stuff. Like clearly, we're going to see more of that in this next episode. Uh, you know, so it just I I feel like it. It's possible. They wouldn't, they wouldn't use it as such a huge set piece. Uh, it's if, such a ubiquitous if, presence, though, the giant squid throughout the entire series, you know? Right. To just do like a single reveal on it, uh, you know, it's it's such a huge establishing shot. You know they spent a ton of money on that huge tracking shot that then turns into a, you know, a huge CGI shot. Um, yeah, I, I really do hope we get more of that just because it was such a, you know, for all the fans of the graphic novel that were sort of robbed of the real ending that, you know, like, can't just show that thing once you gotta fucking get in there i, I assume if we detail. if we do see it again it'll probably be in episode eight uh oh. which was the episode that's entitled you know a god walks into a bar now who knows what that means if that means dr manhattan you know i i assume if we see manhattan we're gonna see the squid also or if we see the squid it's gonna be when we see manhattan put it that way um in some capacity. So I, but we'll see. Who knows? Maybe we don't see either of those two things. Um, <laughs> well, I, if we only had to see it, it but... once, at least it was put to film. At least someone yeah. proved that you can fucking. Oh, you know, I, know, I didn't. I didn't really monster. want to put the put the squid in the movie because I feel like giant squid doesn't really translate well on screen. I think instead, you know, it, just have a bunch fucking, of energy fields. And, you know, if you look at like just how dark it is in like the pockets of of you know where there's light and fire and everything, it almost looks like. What it was almost Zach like a Snyder rib on Snyder to be like, yeah, <laughs> this is what it would have looked like, fucking idiot. Like, this is what you could have done to make it work in your grim, dark fucking universe, Zack Snyder. Lindelof, Lindelof ate fucking Snyder's lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Some funny shit, but yeah, um, yeah. So I think I mean I hit all the observations I think I wanted to make from the episode. Do you have any other stray observations before we? No, I, I think that on? covers it pretty well. And this this was really an episode where there was so much to fucking talk about. I'm I'm we're just about to hit the two hour mark right now. But, yeah, yeah, we should we should uh, for sure. We had a couple pauses in there. We edited out. We might keep it under two hours. So yeah, I I we are officially past the fifty percent point. Now we've got six, seven, eight, nine left. So. Uh, four more weeks and we're going to know what really happens. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, can't wait. Uh, very excited for next week and for what else the show holds. So, uh, we'll be covering it here every, uh, Monday night. You can check it out here. Uh, you, you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash move left idiots. We're on iTunes uh, or Apple podcasts. Now it's, uh, you know, just search for move left idiots, we also are hosting a uh, review of The Mandalorian. If you've been watching that on Disney Plus, uh, we're really enjoying it. It's not not nearly as detailed of a series as this. Uh, I, I you know I, I try to bring kind of Star Wars nerdy uh, like factoids to, to each episode we do, but um, obviously not nearly as, as layered a show as this. But it's just fun and a really you know interesting uh, journey again into the star Wars universe. So if you're enjoying that show and, uh, certain adorable, you know, baby characters on that show, <laughs> uh, go check out our, our Mandalorian review. Yeah, uh, I, I was kind of hoping it would be a, a more like layered, lots of depth trying to, you know, really has something to say. And it really hasn't been that yet. Uh, but I do like what it is and that it's trying to sell, uh, you know, try to tell, uh, a very singular story so far. So much of Star Wars is cross-cutting between multiple stories happening at once. You know, uh, part of the teams on the side of the galaxy and part of them is over here, and there's constantly cutting back and forth uh, of uh, you know different action. And this is very different. There's none of that. You are completely. It's completely subjective to one character. 
you're with that character the whole time. There's no other action you're cutting to and then coming back to. You are just with this one, um, you know, singular person. It's extremely like space it, Western, you know, it, it's just such a different feel and a different tone and yeah. pacing and feels more like star Wars than most star Wars films do act, honestly. So it, it really yeah. genuinely feels like the original trilogy a lot more than almost anything that's comes, you know, in, in the, in it the does. Disney in, era. In, in, in all the best ways, not just a bunch of fucking nostalgia porn either. Yeah, no, exactly. It feels like it's within the same universe, but not trying to constantly wink at that universe, you know, which I, I really appreciate about it. <laughs> there was, there was a, somebody's review. Uh, they were talking about the, the last episode where he falls off the thing and and they were like, oh, that would have been a great time to use the Wilhelm scream. And I was like, you fucking idiot. Don't do that. Don't do <laughs> so that shit where you're just on. begging. You're just checking the boxes off all the things that you need for it to be Star Wars. And it's just ugh, so hacky. Yeah. No, very hacky. But no, but, you know, Mandalorian's been really enjoyable so far. Not, you know, obviously, again, not the same type of series, but, you know, we, we really enjoy talking about that. So go check that out. Also, that's uh, our podcast, Bounty Hunters Guild. Uh, Got to keep up with the leftist, uh, you know, name naming scheme. Exactly. Uh, Mandalorian is a union man. <laughs> he is a union man. Uh, and and Carl Weathers is his uh, union boss. You know, <clears throat> fucking Chubbs, Chubbs Peterson slash Apollo Creed. Got to love it. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so check that out. Check out our main political podcast, which we do every Thursday night. Uh, we cover the news of the week from a socialist perspective, and that's called Move Left Idiots. You can find that same place you're finding this podcast. Uh, we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash move left idiots. We are on uh, Patreon. If you want to support the show, it's at patreon.com slash move left. If you want to pick up any merch from the show, tinyurl.com slash move left merch. I am on Twitter at move underscore left. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at smut collector with an E-R, not an O-R. Yep. We'll see you next week. screen